0: One of the great things about Reformed theology is that it didn't just start in 1517. Reformed theologians, even at the time of the Reformation, looked back to the early church, to the so-called patristic authors, for much of their theology and inspiration. And in teaching church history at Westminster, one of the things I constantly try to bring out is the Catholicity of the Protestant Reformed faith. And I try to point back constantly to its roots in patristic writing and patristic authors. This morning I want to speak briefly about one such author, a man called John Chrysostom. He was born in 347 and he was made Patriarch of Constantinople uh, in 398. He was deposed a few years later and fell foul of the imperial and church authorities and was sent into exile. Quite literally he was warped to death during a storm by enemies who wished to dispatch him and see him gone from the scene. In his own day, he was very, very famous as a preacher and a theologian. The name Chrysostom means golden mouth and reflects the fact that he was an eloquent preacher and a great leader of the church. And I want to talk this morning just very briefly about a little book that he wrote quite early on in his career entitled On the Priesthood. This book was essentially a small, short handbook designed for theological students, for those going into the ministry, to explain to them the skills they would need, uh, and the qualities they would be expected to exhibit as they took uh, on their role as officers in Christ's church. I want to quote you a couple of passages. This is from chapter 13, which is entitled, The Temptations of the Teacher. And here is how Chrysostom describes congregations in his day. In the first place, most of those who are under authority, that is the congregation, refuse to treat preachers as their instructors. They rise above the status of disciples and assume that of spectators, sitting in judgment on secular speech-making. In their case, the audience is divided, and some side with one speaker and others side with another. So in church, they divide and become partisans, some of this preacher and some of that, listening to their words with favour or dislike. Listen to what Chrysostom said there about congregations. They tend to follow personalities. They tend to sit in judgment of the word. They tend to judge sermons by the eloquence of the speaker rather than the content of what is being said. Surely that is much the same as today. Great indication of how useful writings, even from the 4th, 5th century, can be in our present-day context. Listen, too, to how Chrysostom describes the qualities necessary in a preacher. He spent the first part of the book talking about the need for the preacher to grasp orthodoxy, to have a profound understanding of theology. Then he comes in this chapter to talk about the personal qualities that the preacher needs to have. It is impossible to be a pastor except by these two qualities, contempt of praise and the force of eloquence. If either is lacking, the one left is made useless through divorce from the other. You see what Chrysostom says there. You have to have two qualities to be a great pastor. One, you've got to be able to communicate clearly. If you can't communicate clearly, there's no point in getting up in a pulpit. Secondly, you have to have an absolute contempt for the praise and the criticism that will be directed at you from the pew. He goes on. The man who is unaffected by acclamation, yet unskilled in preaching, does not truckle to the people's pleasure. But no more can he confer any real benefits upon them because he has nothing to say. The man who cares nothing for praise or criticism but can't communicate is saying he's useless. He can't communicate anything of any use to his congregation. And he goes on. And equally, the man who is carried away with the desire for eulogies may have the ability to improve the people but chooses instead to provide nothing but entertainment. That is the price he pays for thunders of applause. The preacher who panders simply to the taste of his congregation will end up being nothing more than an entertainer. That's what he's saying. How relevant is that today in North America? How many preachers, how many popular preachers are there who are essentially entertainers? Why are they entertainers? Because they like being pleasers of men. They like standing up in front of large crowds and speaking to people the words they want to hear. And that applies across the theological spectrum. It's not just a monopoly of the prosperity gospel preachers. It's also part and parcel of the reformed celebrity culture, which we now find ourselves in. He goes on. But this uh, lack of affectation, this lack of vulnerability to praise must not only be displayed in contempt for applause. It must go further if its benefit is not in turn to be wasted. What else then must he despise? Slander and envy. The right course is neither to show disproportionate fear and anxiety over ill-directed abuse, for the President will have to put up with unfounded criticism, nor simply to ignore it. The priest should treat those whom he rules as a father treats very young children. We are not disturbed by children's insults or blows or tears, nor do we think much of their laughter and approval. And so with these people, we should not be much elated by their praise, nor not much dejected by their censure when we get these things from them out of season. You hear what Chrysostom's saying. Not only should we not be vulnerable to the praise of men, we should treat lightly their criticism as well. Any pastor who takes seriously the slams and the hits he's going to get from people after his sermon, from the blogs that are going to emerge in the first few weeks of his pastorate, he's not going to last very long. The key thing Chrysostom says in a pastor He is not caring for either the praise or the criticism of men. All of this is in a book that was written in the fourth century and that I would commend to those of you who want a good guide to pastoral ministry to purchase and to read today. The patristic authors speak with eloquence and relevance to the present day because human nature doesn't change, congregations don't change and the temptations of the pastorate don't change.